Well, we're continuing in our series out of the Gospel of Luke. We called it Certain Truth. A guy named Luke, he was a doctor. He wrote two books to his friend Theophilus. One is called the book of Luke in the New Testament. The other one's called Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And he said, my friend, I want you to be certain of the truth that you were taught. And so Luke goes through and makes a kind of a careful explanation of the life and ministry of Jesus from his birth through his death and his resurrection. We're going to be in chapter 11 today of Luke's gospel. And I have sort of mixed feelings about this topic. We're talking about prayer. And it always feels a bit odd to me to talk about prayer because it seems like we should just pray. It's, you know, it's sort of like it's easy to talk about getting healthy as opposed to just getting on the treadmill, right? So it's easy to talk about. It's in a sense, it's almost easier to talk about it than just to do it. But... Um, We want to see what Jesus had to say about it. Every religion prays. Not only sure who they're praying to, but every religion prays. And, you know, many religious people pray more fervently or more, I don't know, in a more devoted fashion than even than many Christians or most Christians, perhaps. Even irreligious people admit to praying. And, you know, the old saying that that um, even atheists are believers in a foxhole. I mean, they've got those kind of. Moments, people across America say they pray. They just the the new the new way of of saying this is now that um, you, you know if somebody puts something on Facebook a prayer request and and somebody will say sending good thoughts your way. Think about that for a minute. I'm going to send good thoughts your way, and how is that going to help anything? But that's what we do. Um, Prayer is not difficult. From the moment a child can speak, they can pray. It's, it's easy. It's almost natural for, for them. It doesn't require special skills or expertise. Um, and yet, not many of us pray much or pray boldly or pray confidently. Prayer meetings are almost always the smallest gathering in any church. Typically, what I've seen is about 1% to 3% of a, of a church will participate in a prayer meeting. I was at the prayer meeting yesterday morning at man camp at 7.15. And uh, I figured there were 7% of the men were there in prayer. I thought that's pretty cool. That's a, that's a good number um, based on statistics. The typical statistics. Uh, some, uh, some Christians teach that intercession, which is just a kind of a fancy word for prayer, is a spiritual gift. I don't actually see that in scripture but even if it is, there's a risk of saying, well, I don't have that gift of intercession. I don't have the gift of prayer, so therefore I don't, I don't need to pray. And that, that's kind of a misunderstanding uh, of that. I know people in this church pray. I've seen you. I've heard you. I've been with you. I've watched you. But I also know that many of us don't pray or, or, or we're beginners at it. And... Um, and I would even include myself in that. I just, you ask anyone who prays and they will tell you, oh, I'm just starting to learn the, the beauty and the secrets of prayer. Um, many of us want to pray. 
And we even feel a little bit guilty, perhaps, that we, we don't pray more, but we might get stuck. You know, we might, might start, you know, we sit down and say, okay, I'm, today I'm going to pray. Okay, dear Lord, thank you for this day. And, and what day is it? It's Thursday. Thursday. Oh, I've got to get the oil changed today. And while I'm over there, I should just run into Costco because it's right there. And oh, oh, um, oh, sorry, Lord. Anyway, um, where was I? Yeah, Lord, so I lift up our missionaries. I pray for Ricky and Karen Sanchez over there in Thailand today and uh, please help that church and their orphanage and how long have they been there anyway they were there it seems team 2000 so that was a year two so 15, they've been there 15 years and what have i done for the last 15 years man 15 oh, i've got kids that are going to be 15 oh sorry lord anyway where was i and you know that's kind of how it sometimes it goes in prayer for us at least those kind of more add type prone people like me and so um I think the honest bottom line about prayer is that it has nothing to do with the how-to of prayer. I think the honest bottom line about prayer is that we're not always sure that prayer matters or that it works or that it's effective. And we've all prayed without getting the answer we hoped for, which is disappointing. And it might lead you to the conclusion that, well, prayer doesn't work. Maybe you go for days or weeks without so much as of a, you know, good morning, Lord, thanks for the breakfast kind of prayer, and then you think, huh, well, it seems to make no difference whether I pray or not. And Jesus' 12 closest disciples were Jewish men who would have grown up around prayer and knowing the what and the why and the how of prayer. They they would have been able to pray spontaneously, and they would have probably prayed some memorized prayers. And they, yet when they saw Jesus pray, there was something about the way that Jesus prayed, it just stopped them in their tracks. And they said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Think about this. These are adult men who all their life have known how to pray. They say, Jesus, pray. And they said, would you, would you teach us? And I... I you know, there was something in the way Jesus operated that stirred up a fresh desire in them. And I wonder if the Lord would do that for us as well. So we're going to read Luke chapter 11, 1 through 13, and see what Jesus teaches about that. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? If you're in the Red Church Bible, I apologize. I don't have a page number for you. Someone may call that out. Thank you. Page 647. Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 1. I read from the New Living Translation. It says, Once when Jesus was in a certain place uh, praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. You're referring to John the Baptist. And Jesus said, This is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy, and may your kingdom come soon. And give us... Each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and don't let us yield to temptation. And then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight and wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. 
And so I tell you, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. And keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, my children have never asked for fish. I will tell you that right now. You fathers, if your children ask for fish or french fries or something really delicious, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We thank the Lord for His Word to us today. Let's be seated together. Whether or not you've achieved prayer warrior status, you might well be with the disciples and saying, Lord, teach me to pray. Like I said, I I know I have a lot of room for growth in this area in my own life. And as I said, I think the disciples recognized something in the way Jesus connected with his father that really appealed to them, really stirred up that desire in them. Maybe they saw for the first time that prayer is really about relationship. It's really about a relationship with God. Notice that they didn't ask Jesus this question in the midst of a bunch of miracles or a bunch of answered prayers. It was as they saw Jesus in prayer that they asked for that. There's a clarity in prayer, I think, when we finally grasp that prayer is not a shopping trip, right? It's not a grocery list of what we want God to do, and then that's it. Amen. No one goes to the grocery store to become friends with the deli clerk or the produce guy or the cashier. You don't just kind of go wander the aisles. Oh, I'm just here. Just seeing what's here. No. You go with a purpose, you give your list, you go in, you pay your money, you get out, done. To stay with that shopping analogy, the beauty of prayer is that it really is about wandering the aisles. It really is about getting to know the grocer. And the fact that you have a grocery list and we do bring our concerns and our petitions and our requests to the Lord, we really do. That comes second. That list is secondary to the relationship that develops with the Father. It's like I I think I mentioned last week or the week before. You know, you just kind of want to ask yourself, if I had the opportunity to sit down and have dinner with God, would I look forward to it? Would I have anything to talk about? I'm not sure how many of us are there, but it's a beautiful thing to see this relationship develop in prayer, friendship with God. I want to add just a couple more comments before we really jump into the passage. First, I would say this, that prayer reveals what we believe about God. Prayer reveals what I believe about God. You see, if I never pray, and please don't, don't hear, this is not a, ju- this is not a judgment on anyone at all. But if I never pray, it reveals something about what I believe, it says that either I, I think God won't hear me or God doesn't want to hear me or that God's not powerful enough to act. 
or, 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 he, or he's, he's not there, he doesn't exist. If I never pray, it reveals what I believe. If, if I pray selfishly or if I pray fearfully, those kinds of things also say something about what I believe about God. Maybe you grew up with a, with a difficult, difficult father in your, in your home. And so for you, the idea of, of approaching God as father is, is fearful for you. It's frightening. It scares you. You, you want to pull away. So prayer reveals what I believe about God. The second thing I would just say in, before this passage is that prayer is a privilege, not an obligation. Prayer is a privilege, not an obligation. I don't know why it's so hard to get us to pray, especially to pray out loud, say in a small group or in a Bible study or in a class of some kind, you know, and we're going to have kind of circle up and have a little time of prayer together. And, and I, can, I can usually predict who's going to go first. Please don't be offended by this, but it's typically a woman who gets kind of feels bad for me as the leader that no one else is praying. And then um, or it's somebody who's really afraid of, of like quiet. And so um, at least kind of breaks the ice. And, and I, I, I wonder why is it so why is there so much fear around that? Why are we so scared when we're not talking to each other? We're bringing our request together to the Lord. You know, I, I've seen kids do this. Do you, you know this one? Nose goes, right? Oh, the last person to touch the nose has to pray. Like it's, like it's a punishment, right? Or someone, I, I, I do this sometimes at our, at our own house. Okay, who's willing to pray for dinner? And my wife, the other day, said, why, why do you say willing to pray? You make it sound like, like nobody should have to do this, but somebody's, you know, somebody's got to pray. Why aren't we all like, I will, I will. Let me, let me. Why, what, what is it with us that we, oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. Think about this. You, you fear, your fear is that you're going to be judged for how you pray. Have you seriously ever judged someone else for the way they pray? Okay, maybe just a little, but <laughs> you don't really do that. You don't really want to do that. And, and even if someone's judging you for that, that's their issue, not yours. So, prayer is a gift from God. It's, it's like having a, you know, it's like God handed you a two-way radio that's always on. And you can just check in any time. Whether you're at home by yourself, whether you're in the vehicle, whether you're in a small group, whatever setting you're in. Right now, some of you are saying, I just pray this gets over fast. I mean, you can pray anywhere, anytime. Scripture says, we can not only approach God directly, that means without a priest, without a temple, without sacrifices, right? We approach God directly, but we can do so boldly and not only boldly, but boldly in the time when we need mercy. You ever felt like, oh man, I am so not worthy right now. I really need mercy. Oh, wait a second. Hebrews 4.15 says that I can boldly approach God's throne of grace and find mercy when I need it, which is right now. I don't know why that's hard for us to get. Prayer is a privilege. It's a gift from God. So the big question maybe then is back to this one. Does prayer work? Well, that all depends what you're trying to do with it. Right? If you see God as a vending machine, no. Prayer doesn't work. Not very well. But if God is your Father, with whom you desire a relationship, a connection, then yes, prayer works really well.
Ask anyone who has learned to pray. So I'm going to make, come back into the passage and we'll make a couple of comments about learning to pray. You see there, verses 2, two to 4. Um, it says, the, you know, the, the disciples said, hey, would you teach us to pray? Jesus said, this is then how you should pray, Father. And then carries on. The more familiar version of this is found in Matthew chapter 6. Um, what we would call the Lord's Prayer. Um, someone didn't believe me the other day. I told them that I, in growing up in a public school, I grew up in Canada and I grew up in a public school, and it, the teacher was required to lead the Lord's Prayer every morning in the public school until about the early, early 1980s. In fact, they were prescribed a, a, a Bible passage, a scripture passage, and the Lord's Prayer. I learned to say the Lord's Prayer, not in church, right? I learned it in school. And uh, we'll have a chance to pray that together at the end of the message. And this passage is, is the same, just a little edited down. And there are lots of ways to dig through this. And, and, you know, it's just a beautiful passage of Scripture. But I'm going to simplify it just down to two parts. And that's God's part and my part. Think of this as an, as an up arrow and a down arrow. God's part and my part. God's part is this. When we pray, Father... May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Or you might know it more familiar, familiar, with more familiarity. That's a hard word to say. It might be more familiar to you as our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. This is, this is really two things. This is praise and this is submission. The praise part in addressing the fathers. We reaffirm his holiness. Father, hallowed. May, may your name be kept holy. May your name be honored above all things, all people, all gods, anything else. God, you're, you're the highest. You're above all. And, and, and remember, Jesus isn't saying you must always pray these exact words. He's saying this is the manner in which you should pray. This is, this is a, a way you can pray. This is a pattern. So what does it take to praise God, to exalt him in your prayer? Um. Father, Creator, Almighty God, Holy One. However you do, you begin in praise. As in, you are the hallowed One, the Holy God, my Father who is holy. So it's praise and it's submission. And I have a hunch that, I think a word got cut off there when I made that slide, but the other piece of this is submission. And the submission part is yielding ourselves to God's kingdom. Right? God's kingdom, not my kingdom. May your kingdom come, Father. Not even, Lord, take me away to your kingdom. Get me out of here. It's, Lord, let your kingdom come right here. Let your rule and your reign, let your way of doing things take place in the here and now. In this place. In my life. In my home, in my church, on my street, in my neighborhood, in my workplace, in my school. Let your kingdom come. Let your way of doing things rule supreme. That's submission saying, I'm not going to call the shots, God. I want you to call the shots. And the great thing about praising God and submitting to God and submitting to his, his rule and his reign is that it sets me up for my part of the prayer. 
just provision and forgiveness and power. Right? We say, and give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Or another translation, lead us not into temptation. What I'm doing here is I'm asking for the essentials of life. Provision. Forgiveness. Do you know that forgiveness is an essential of your life? If you do not forgive and if you've not experienced forgiveness... You will be bound up in your life and you will not experience freedom and wholeness. Provision and forgiveness and power over temptation. And so when I start with praise and submission, God, you're the holy God and may your kingdom come. I'm going to submit to that. It, it, it sets me up or leads me into saying or even empowers me or, or makes it possible for me to praise, to, to, to pray my request for provision, for forgiveness and empowerment over temptation. Starting with praise and submission affects what I ask for. My relationship with God affects what I ask for. Right? If, if you know nothing about me, right? And you, you came to me and said, hey, I'm... I'm you would have some preconceived idea. You might, you might look at me and say, wow, you know, um, Brian, Brian dresses better than I do, so he must have enough wealth to give me a car. And you, you might bring your request to me and say, hey, would you, would you give me a car? And then you might get to know me. And you might say, Brian, I'd, I'd like to give you my car. <laughs> right? Knowing someone affects what we ask for or the kind of conversation we have with them, it, it, it goes that way. I actually did once when we were church planning. I'll tell you a little story. This one's a freebie. But um, we, we had left seminary and went to uh, the city of Calgary. We were church planning there and we bought a car. In fact, I was on a, on a conference and Becky bought the car for us. And we'd had a Toyota Camry in California. And we, so I said, well, see if you can find another Toyota Camry. So she found the same car. In Canada, uh, the only difference was it had lived on the East Coast for a while, so half of it was missing because of rust. And and we drove that car for I don't know five or six years, um, being church planners and and really living on a shoestring. And there was a point at which a couple of the guys in our church came to me and said, "Well, as our pastor, we think you should drive something better." And so they were going to offer for me to take over the lease on one of their vehicles. <laughs> I said, no, thanks. <laughs> it's a nice offer, but I'll pass. But when we understand, when we have a relationship, it affects. And so when I begin with praise and submission, it affects how I ask and what I ask for. Right? Provision, forgiveness, empowerment over temptation. So that's how Jesus taught. Begin with praise and humble submission. Get that right. And the requests become less of a shopping trip and more of a desire to know Him, to know the Father, to know the One to whom we submit and the One we praise. And then Jesus moved on and illustrated with two short parables. The story of the sleepy neighbor and the story of the good father. And these, story, these two stories, I would say more than anything, remind us that our hope is in the Lord. Our hope is in the Lord. So think about this for a moment. i ask you a question. Where is your hope for life? Just pa- pause and think about that. Where is your hope for life? 
What do you, what do you place, what are you counting on for your life? It might be your spouse. It might be your investments. It might be your own abilities. It might be your good looks. Right? It might be your job. It might be your church. It might be your pastor. There might be something upon which you've placed hope. And I'll tell you right now, all of those things are inadequate. Life has proved to you enough times that none of those things can actually be counted on. They will not, in the long term, provide for you what you need and what you desire. Instead, is your hope, your satisfaction, your, your peace, is it in the Lord? Your Holy Father in Heaven, whose kingdom comes with power. This first parable, you know, when he says, uh, you know, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight and you wanted to borrow three loaves of bread and you say to him, a friend of mine just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked, my family's and I are all in bed and I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your persistence. It's a little bit confusing, right? You might come to the conclusion of all... Sounds like God's reluctant to answer. Like God's actually napping. Well, he's, he's laid down for the night. Like, like you're bothering him. It's annoying to God. Oh, not again. This is, um, this is what we call a contrast parable. So when you read Scripture, you need to understand there's different kinds of ways that Jesus told stories in different, different ways that he taught. And this one's what's called a contrast. It means... In, in comparison of if we who are so unlike God can get it right, how much more so God who is so unlike us will get it right? So that's a, that's the contrast. So that comparison, not that God's just like us, God is so unlike us. So that's the contrast parable. God's not sleeping. But I'm told that you know, the, the story kind of illustrates that point of persistence. I'm told that in those ancient Eastern cultures, it was customary for the father or even the grandfather at, at nighttime, after everything settled down, the house is locked up, you know, the, the candles or lanterns are all, all powered down, and it would be customary to gather the children or even the grandchildren into the bed with the father or the grandfather for a time of teaching. He might teach scripture, he might tell family stories, he might teach principles that are important to them. Um, some some kind of lessons. It's a precious time that was not to be disturbed. In fact, they go so far as to say that then what would happen in the morning, the children have to rehearse what they learned from the stories the night before. It was a way of reinforcing good teaching. And so um, that's that's what's happening here. So to disrupt that time, you just don't you just don't disturb that. I mean, culturally, you just don't you know, when it's when, when the lights are off and the doors are locked, that's it. You don't bother them because you're, you're going to disrupt the entire family. But it's also customary that if you have a guest from out of town, they, they function much more as a community. And so if it would not be out of order for the, for the neighbor to say, oh, hey, I have a guest, 
But hospitality is not just my job. Hospitality is the job of the whole village. And so I don't have bread, but I, I believe my, I, I smelled some fresh bed, bread baking over at my neighbors earlier today. They'll have bread. I'll get some from them. That's the, that's the pattern. In the parable, the persistent knocking produces results, right? Jesus makes this point that the rudeness of knocking on the neighbor's door is in effect perfectly acceptable to God. He's not offended by that persistence, by that diligence, by that going after it. And so the good thing about persistence in prayer, get this, the good thing about persistence in prayer is it forces me to evaluate for what I'm really asking. Let me say that again. The persistence in prayer pushes me to evaluate my request. I'm asking for this, but I keep asking, like, wait a second. I don't think I actually need that. I think what I'm actually asking for is this. Persistence does that. Have you ever, have you ever made that mistake where you, you had an idea and you, you said, oh, I want to do this. Or, or maybe you're going to buy something and you, you went out and bought ten of them. And then you realize, oh, I only needed five. So there's something about that persistence, that slowing down of the process that you realize, whoa, wait a second. What am I really after here? And Jesus says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and you will <clears throat> be answered. And so then it gets, allows me to ask, what am I asking for? What am I seeking? What am I knocking? What door am I knock, actually knocking on? And then the second parable is, I think it's just good humor. Right? As, as imperfect as we human dads are, at least we want to do the right thing. We like to give good gifts to our, our children. We want to give them what they need. And it gets back to our view of God. I mean, can we really accept God as a good father who loves to give good gifts to their children? We have a little problem in our house. I don't know if my boys would agree with this or not. But we have a little problem in our house that every Christmas we say, this year we're going simple. Simple Christmas this year. Maybe one family gift and that's it. We're living simple this year. And then we get a little closer and, and then Becky says, well, I, I, I did get a little something for the kids. And I don't want to tell her that I got something for them because we agreed we we're going to like go really simple this year. But nothing for each other. Oh, no, nothing for each other. You know, absolutely not. Nothing. Well, it has to fit in the stocking. OK, anything, but it can't be bigger than a stocking. Right. So then what you do in the stocking, you put a little card that says, this card tells you that the gift is over there. You know, that, that's, you find a way around it because and you do that with your kids because you love to give them gifts. You, you want to bless them. You want to kind of make their life flourish in some way. And it's not even always good for them. Remember that next year, guys. So um, can you accept that the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, is, is the good gift that God wants to give to you? Some of, some of us are still afraid to receive the Holy Spirit in the fullness that He comes to bring. Jesus says, that's a good gift from a good Father. And this Father image is so important. Maybe, maybe your own father, maybe your own dad was distant from you or absent or possibly a really, really good dad. Regardless, when Jesus introduced God as Father, this is a, this is a new paradigm. This is a shift in how we view things. God is not some distant deity on a high up there on a thundering mountaintop or hidden behind a, a curtain in the temple. God's no longer out of reach and unapproachable. Jesus came as the Son of God to introduce us to His Father, God. And Jesus said, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. 
I like what I see in Jesus. So that tells me I can trust that God is good too. God's a good father. Jesus taught us to speak to God as father, as a picture of the relationship that's meant to be personal and deep and intimate with God. It's because God is father that we can approach him. The very fact that he's father in a, in a, in a reasonably healthy relationship between a parent and a child, the child can approach the father, right? If you're an adult, you should be able to pick up the phone and call your dad. If you're a kid, you know, you come home from work, dads, when your children are young, remember that you come home from work and they come running to you. You're like, Oh, ho, ho. We, we had a little in our house there in, in the city where we lived before the, the, the main door opened to a, a, a long flight of steps and you open the door and you had to be ready because they heard the car come into the garage or whatever. And, and they're in the air as you open the door, leaping off the steps, you open the door and you've got to be ready to catch. I mean, and as a father, you're like, it blesses your heart that your children approach you. It blesses the heart of God the Father that we would come to Him. We're not bothering Him. He loves it when we approach Him in that way. And because He's Father, we can do that. And like I said, every good dad wants to bless his kids and, and give them gifts and be generous with them and teach them things. But they do have to ask as well. right? And sometimes when children make a request... Dad has to say no, not because he doesn't love his children, but because he does love his children. If, you're, if the five-year-old says, I would like a Swiss Army knife with all the things on it, right? Does a good dad say, yes, here you go, or no? The good dad says no. Five-year-old wants a hunting knife? The good dad says no. That request might have to wait five or seven years Till the child is ready for the responsibility of what they're asking for. And I think God's the same way. Sometimes we think we're ready. We're not actually ready for the gift that we're asking for. We're not ready for the answer that we want. God, I, I so much want this. I so much want you to do this. And God, who knows best, says, I know you want it. I'd love to give it to you, but it's not the right time. You're not ready for this. It's not going to be good for you. And my question then is, will you, will you pray as Jesus taught us to pray? To, to praise, pray and praise and submission to His will. And then to ask Him, that's the upward arrow. And then to ask Him for those essentials, for provision and forgiveness and for power. Some remarkable thing. This passage I don't think the apostles, I don't think those disciples were ready for Jesus' answer. When they said, teach us to pray, I think they were expecting a formula. I think they were expecting, just give us the way you do that, Jesus. Give us the right words. Jesus didn't give them the right words. He gave them the right manner in which to pray. He introduced God not only as His own Father, but as their Father. Jesus is is opening that up. He's sharing that with them. He does the same thing for you today. I'm going to invite Kurt and the musicians to come and lead us in one last closing song. And before we do that, Carter, is that last slide going to work on the screen today? A little technical glitch. 
I'm going to invite you, if you know the Lord's Prayer, to stand and pray that with me as best you can. I think it's on two slides. And let me say one thing before you do that. I don't know where you're at today in your relationship with God. Maybe you have never, ever considered God your Heavenly Father. You have never come to that place where you've trusted Him. Here's what the Bible says. That, that we are made right in God's sight when we trust Jesus Christ to take the forgiveness for our sin. We are, the Bible word is justified. What it means is like brought into alignment. You know like when you do a word doc and you justify the margins? And that lines up all nice and straight? That's what Jesus does for us. He takes our sin and all our jagged edges and when we trust Him, He lines up the margins beautifully. He justifies us in the Father's sight. And so we can approach Him with boldness. We can approach Him with, with courage, without shame and embarrassment. All that guilt, all those things that you, you did that you wish you hadn't done, He just covers all that up and He makes you right with God the Father. The Bible says that that happens by our faith in God's grace. Nothing you did could earn that. Nothing you, you accomplished makes you good enough for God. Only the things that Jesus accomplished make you right and good enough for Him. So it's my faith. It's my trust in Jesus Christ. It's a total exchange. Jesus went to the cross. He died for all your sin. Took everything on Himself. And died so that you could live. But then God raised Him up to life and fills you with His life so you live again. Isn't that amazing? It's just an amazing thing that God does. I don't know if you've ever trusted Jesus Christ for salvation. But today would be a great day to do that. Today would be a great day to say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I yield my life to you. I accept your forgiveness of your sin. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says it this way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a promise from God, rock solid. You can't undo it. If you believe in your, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus, you're my Lord. You believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead. You will be saved. And here's the only thing I'm going to ask today. If that's if if that for you is a first time you're making that decision, that's yes, Jesus. I want you to be the Lord of my life as we pray this prayer together, um, whether or not we get words for it. I know we've got a few technical issues. You might just pray in your own words, but just Jesus, I just yield to you. We're going to pray this what we call the Lord's Prayer out of Matthew six. and We're going to do our best with that. For some of you, this is very, very familiar. You know, it in the King James Translation, you say it with a these and nows, that's totally fine. Right? God knows what you're saying. He, he still understands. He was around in 1611 when that translation was made. And he still understands that translation. But we come to him as our father with all the privilege that brings. And if you're saying, today I'm giving my life to Jesus. I want you to pray that. And then here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you to come. Just talk with me afterwards. And... Uh, Say, I, I gave my life to Jesus. Or you can head back to the prayer room and do the same thing. I gave my life to Jesus today. Let's pray our Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have not forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, we do pray this with our, with our whole heart today. And Lord, as we even kind of stumble over just maybe the right way, I think you're just reminding us today, you're not looking for a formula.
You're looking for us to get to know you as our good Father who loves to give good gifts to His children. And Lord, for any person here today who comes with some kind of burden, God, would you give them the the ability, the freedom to exchange that today, to release that to you, and instead receive from you all the good gifts you have for them. New life, new hope, healing. Lord, all, all whatever you have for each person today, give us the courage to both turn it into you and, and to receive your, your good gifts. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that you promised to give to all who ask. Jesus, I ask again today for your Holy Spirit just to fill me afresh. And I pray the same for each one. We thank you. We bless you now. We thank you that you're God. You are our Father and we can come to you at any time. Pray. Amen.